Question. You can answer this with a hand raised. Do you ever feel like you don't have enough time or money? One or the other, right? Right? 2010, uh, I was brand new lead pastor at Village Church. Uh, myself and Bethany Thomas uh, were two, the only two staff members uh, at the church at the time. And we uh, had a vision for some things that we wanted to see change. If you know me, I'm partial to changing things. And so uh, we came on and we had the opportunity to rebuild and reshape some of the foundation of Village Church as we knew it. Its systems, its policies, procedures, uh, how things are done, how things are run, training, etc. So at the same time, my wife was pregnant with our second. Uh, her name is Avia. And if you know anything about my wife, in her pregnancies, she is sick for about nine months straight and there is no relenting. And uh, it's a very uh, just suffocating experience for her, very frustrating, oppressive on her body. I know there's a bunch of you moms who probably are like, I can fix her. Everybody's tried. And uh, so leave that off the table. But it's very hard season. I know how, I already know what half of you are thinking right now. Can I cure vitamin B? No. Um, so what happens though is, is she's just done. She's toast. She's on the couch for nine months until we have the baby. And on top of that, she is deathly allergic to garlic and onions, which means if I have anything with garlic and onions, she won't even look at me, talk to me, or let me sleep in the same room. So I enter into this new official position, and I looked at my wife, and I said, hey, for nine months, this is going to be crazy. There is a lot of work that needs to be done. And so for nine months, all the way up until our September Labor Day ministry launch, I'm just going to tell you, it's going to be 16-hour days. It's going to be crazy, but I'm telling you, there's going to be an end to this. And both of us understood what was going to be happening. We agreed because we love Village Church. Uh, she grew up in this church, actually. You may not know that since she was nine years old. And so our heart is for this place. We loved it. And we had the opportunity on a staff side to see a lot of things transformed. Well, by the time June came around, we're about six months into this craziness. I was overwhelmed. I was over the top frustrated and stressed. And uh, I was on Twitter. Now, I'm not a big Twitter fan, but I just I was on Twitter and if you don't know who Rick Warren is, he's a pastor in California, but whether you like the guy or not, his Twitter feed is pure gold. It's just an, like the amount of wisdom the guy just spews out. And I was on Twitter and I saw this, and this was from June 10th, 2010. It so struck me and so convicted me, I kept it. And here's what he said. God gives you enough time to do his will. If you can't get it all done, you're doing stuff out of his will or doing it in a wrong way way. Anybody else need that word right now, right? <laughs> right? Even uh, throughout my, I mean, throughout my, the last seven, eight years, right? I mean, there are plenty of times where I'm like, I just want more time, and I want more money, and I actually come back to this tweet, believe it or not, regularly, and the Holy Spirit to this is just like, Michael, I, I have given you everything you need to do everything I've asked you to do, and if you're not able to get all this done, you're clearly doing something out of my will, you're doing it in the wrong way. That was piercing for me. Now, here's what I've learned about all of us. Um, I want to tell you why more money and more time will not fix any of your problems. If God gave you a whole 10 more hours a day and another $50,000 a year, just as like extra money and extra time, here, here's why you would use it all. And within a year, you would say, I need more time and more money. Because uh, your lack of money and time is rarely ever about money or time. In fact, I'm going to put um, a very reliable quote stat to this. 98.74%, okay? That's how many of you don't need more time or money. The majority of your desire for more time or money has nothing to do with those. It has to do with our unwise use of our time and money. 
But God has given us, the vast majority of us, more than enough to do exactly what he's asked us to do. And the issue is not God's stinginess. It is our unwise decisions or behavior. I hope in your heart at this moment you're saying, yeah, amen. It's a reluctant amen, but there is, there is identity in that. You can identify with this. I wake up uh, a lot of mornings with this thought. I will never get this day back ever again. This is the only today I'm ever going to have. And when this day is done, I often lie in bed at night and I think about the day, and I will never, ever get that day back. Yes, there are plenty of new days that are coming up, but this day, this day is the only time I will ever have this. And so what I, what I do is I think very clearly about my life and my time and my money. And here's what I know. I need to be wiser, more intentional, more prioritized. I need to actually budget my time and my life. Because what happens when I don't budget stuff is it just slowly disappears and goes off into the ether. Here's what I know about the majority of you and what you intuitively know. When you have money or time unbudgeted, the vast majority of us, 99.35% of us, that's an accurate stat, look it up. What we do is we squander it, it then loses its potency, and then eventually disappears. Do you guys feel that? Because we don't tell valuable things where to go. Valuable things ultimately, naturally dissipate. This is what happens. Where did my money go? Where did my time go? We in, unintentionally, accidentally, haphazardly did not choose to tell it where to go. Let me tell you what your two greatest resources are in your entire life. Your two greatest resources are your money and your time. It is not your marriage. You cannot spend your marriage. You cannot control your partner. It is not your kids. You cannot spend your kids. You cannot control their decisions. You are given two things in life that you have the ability to spend to invest. It is your money and it is your time. And these are the two most valuable assets, commodities that you have. And ultimately, you and I are going to be responsible. So let me, let me tell you the point of my sermon, and then we're going to get deeper into this. Here's the point. The quality of your life here and there hinges on how you budget your money and your time. Most of the disappointments in your life right now are the direct result of unwise budgeting of your money and your time. This, this is just a human fact. You say, I want more X, Y, Z. I want my life to be like this. The problem is when we spend the two things that will get us from where we are to what we want to be, our money and our time, we spend them in a way that is the opposite of what we really want to see happen. And so here's my objective this morning, very simply. I want to help you think about time. Last week we talked about money. I want to help you think about time. And I especially want to help you think about time as it relates to serving in the local church. So the title of this sermon is Budgeting Your Life and Serving Generously. Have you ever really thought about budgeting your time? It is the most valuable asset you have next to your money. This is something you choose. You tell it where to go. And you and I, each one of us, we're going to be accountable for this. So turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. My uh, goal this morning, it's very simple. I don't want to guilt you. I don't want to make you feel bad. Uh, I want to encourage you and equip you as it relates to your time and your life so that you can serve the local church and invest in the kingdom of God. That's my ultimate goal. Put all my cards on the table. 1 Peter 4.10. This is the command. I want, to, I want to read this. I want you to hear this. This is the command about serving. And we're going to talk about different aspects of this. And here's what it is. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as, God, as good stewards of God's 
varied grace. Uh, when we get to 1 Peter chapter 4, the book of 1 Peter has a really, I think, interesting and beautiful context. It is written to smaller churches, most likely. Uh, the context of these are small communities who are experiencing frustration, but here's what's actually happening. The Bible is written mostly to small communities that lived in weekly and even usually daily communication, interaction, and community with one another. The Bible is written to local churches that are supposed to be like a family. They're called a spiritual family. And so what happens is this idea of consumer church, where you as a Christian in America walk in, walk out, is a completely foreign concept to the authors of Scripture. And so even as Village Church grows, here, I want you to hear me, our desire is to never lose our soul and to be a family that serves. Now, some people are going to come to Village they're going to realize that being a consumer here isn't going to probably go well for them too long. They're going to constantly hear people in the pulpit saying, jump in, we need your help. And what they're going to do is find another church where they can go consume. Our desire is to be a family. Our desire is to own this place together and to build and invest in God's kingdom through the local church, which is what God's heart is. This is how local churches are built. Local churches are built as each person brings something of value to the table and serves in a family context. Jesus is passionate about the local church. You, you've probably heard this, um, that the local church is just an idea from a bunch of guys a few thousand years ago who wanted to control the masses, take their money, and guilt them into doing what they wanted to do. That is not at all the story of the local church. The local church came from the heart and the mind of God. The local church was God's way of decentralizing the gospel messages to every community, to every culture all over the globe to make sure that there were local centralized communities under the authority of pastors so that they could be on mission together as a spiritual family in each of the communities that God has placed them. So this idea of a local church is not a man-made concept. It is a God-designed concept. And when we do this thing right, the gospel of Jesus Christ is brought to the masses, not by a guy in a pulpit primarily, but because of people who are part of a spiritual family and are committed to one another. And this is what's happening in the book of First Peter, is that there's a group of churches and people that God wants to give a really clear message to. And here's the message he's going to give to them in First Peter 4.10. Our job in the context of this local church is to serve and to be invested in ministry because the local church is the means by which God brings the gospel to the entire world. Uh, let's answer uh, three questions on serving. Uh, question number one in your outline is this. Why should I serve? Compel me, Pastor Michael. Why should I serve? Why should I give the church my time? It's very valuable, and I agree it is. I want to give you uh, four reasons, and these reasons are going to start in verse 7. 8, 9, and we'll look at another reason in verse 11. Remember, the command is in verse 10, but before the command and after the command, Peter wants to give these local churches reasons for investing their time into the local church. Number one, he says this, the end of all things is at hand. Why should I serve? Number one, because the end is near. Now, you're probably bracing yourself thinking, is this guy cuckoo? So let me just give you some clarity. Um, from, the, from the time of the early church until now, here is the perspective of Christians. Jesus could come back at any time. And the longer he waits, often the harder it is for the people of God to be faithful. Because the world is hard, the world is difficult, the world is oppressive. 
And so here's what we see, is that as, the, as Jesus takes longer and longer, as you watch in your life, what you're going to find is that Christians start to become less and less faithful. They get more and more distracted. They get more and more afraid. You see this in your life. People who were once faithful and passionate find themselves busy with other things. The end is drawing near, and as the end draws near, people are going to get busier, and we're going to find is that some people, the church in particular, needs to bind together because we need to be able to stick together the harder it gets. And so one of the reasons that God wants you to serve is because God knows is that as you serve, it binds you closer to the people in the local church. Number two, because you need it. Therefore, he says, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Why? For the sake of of your prayers. It's, it's actually interesting because when you think about um, commands in Scripture, uh, there's one consistent thing that the authors of Scripture never want you to fudge on, and it's your prayer life. So um, love your wives so that your prayers are unhindered, right? There's something about do these things because if you don't do them, it massively affects your prayer life. And so here's one of the things that, that Peter says. He says, look, I need you guys to be self-controlled. You know what that means? You have control over yourself, which means you have the ability to make decisions about your money and your time, and you and I get to tell them where to go. And then he says, be sober-minded. You need to think clearly about what's going on in this world. You need to think clearly because um, there are things that are really, really important. In fact, the most important is the kingdom of God. And our privilege is to think clearly about this and to make sure that when we budget our life and our time and our money, we are thinking clearly and we're sending those things to the places that are most important to the heart of God and that we are building up the kingdom of God. Now keep in mind, all of this is in the context of serving in a local church. And you're going to see this come full circle in a minute. Number three, why should I serve? Other people need it. Other people need it. Here's what he says. Above all, Keep loving one another earnestly. I just want you to catch this. You cannot separate this from his command to serve. That one of the ways that you serve each other, one of the ways you love one another, is by serving faithfully in the context of a local church. He says you keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. There's, something, there's just something interesting about serving somebody who maybe doesn't like you. Like, this is a, a reality of a, a, a lot of preachers, myself included, have to deal with. We get up front, and God calls us to open up his word and to preach. And yet sometimes we preach, and we see in certain people's eyes disdain and dislike for us personally. And yet we're called to use our gifts even for people who don't like us. Some of you, you work in children's ministry, and somebody brings their kid in, and you know the mom and dad don't like you, and you get to love their kid in the name of Jesus Christ. And what happens when you serve an enemy, it disarms them, and it, and it softens your heart to them. There's something about this entire experience that when you actually serve someone in the context of a local church, your heart changes, and ultimately their heart changes. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And so we open up not just our lives, but our homes. Imagine one of the church leaders comes up to you and says, hey, we need your house for this event. Would you, be, would you mind doing it? 
Are you kidding me? I have to clean. Are you, oh, it's my house. Uh, now, you're not going to say that, right? But what's going through our mind, right? So I love, I love this. He's like, look, we're talking about serving. We're talking about like, loving the church, being a family as a local church. Part of this is you open up your home. Your home is one of your most precious places. And so you get to open this up and love people and bring them into it and feed them and encourage them and make it a place where really cool things in your church family actually start to happen. And he says, do this with grumbling. Why does he say do this without grumbling? Because we're prone to grumble, right? Now, you're not going to, of course, grumble when the ministry leader asks you, but you're going to go to your husband or your wife and say, why do they always ask me to do stuff? And he says, don't grumble about this. Serve. But number four, why should I serve? For the glory of God. Verse 11. Again, in verse 10, he just got done talking about serving. It says, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You will not meet someone in heaven who did something for God's glory and regretted it. When you serve, I want you to hear me, this uniquely brings God glory. And no matter how hard it is, no matter how poor your leader is, no matter how disorganized it might be sometimes, we're dealing with volunteers primarily by and large in a local church. No matter what it is, you will get to heaven. And if you have served, you will have done this for the glory of God, and God will bless you for that. It will be worth it. Every time you jump in and you meet a tangible need in a local community, in a local church, God himself gets glory, and he will personally bless you for it. To do something for God's glory means two, two specific things. Number one, it means I serve for Jesus. And number two, it means I serve like Jesus. So this is a very important distinction because if you are serving for a leader, what happens when the leader lets you down? You are crushed, frustrated, hurt, angry, disappointed. If I asked you to raise your hands, how many of you have been let down by a leader in a local church? The vast majority of you would be able to raise your hands. So here's what has to happen in our brains. We have to realize at the end of the day, I am doing this not for my point leader, but for Jesus Christ himself. So when my point leader lets me down, hurts my feelings, uh, does things that really frustrate me, acts unwisely, doesn't lead with strategy, vision, and skill, when my point leader does things, my heart can rest because I can say, you know what? I'm not doing this for them or because of them. I'm doing this for Jesus and because of Jesus. And here's what it does. It changes your heart and your disposition. It allows you to come alongside of that person and say, can I help you instead of you let me down? It changes the entire way you approach the people who are in leadership over you. We do all things for the glory of God, which means I serve for Jesus. It also means I serve like Jesus. Mark 10, 45. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. On the cross, objectively, Jesus bore the weight of God's righteous, just wrath toward our sin on himself. Jesus paid that penalty. It is finished. It is done. Also, he showed us the way of life, which is the way of service, which is the way of giving your life away for the benefit of someone else. So we should probably define service. Does that sound like a good idea? Here's what it means. To happily give something of personal value for the benefit of someone else. Uh, serving in your local church is going to require five things of you. Number one, it will be a choice 
as I said earlier, my desire is never to guilt you. Um, if you experience guilt, it is because my job is to teach God's word. It is also to help people understand different things that hold them back from obeying it. And then as you evaluate your life, the distance between those two things is often where the Holy Spirit uh, brings up a little bit of guilt. And guilt is not meant to shame or condemn. Guilt is meant to move you toward action. Guilt is meant to not, you're not supposed to live in that. That is not the way the Holy Spirit works. Sometimes you experience this emotion because you know that what you're doing is not lining up with God's word. Because as, last time I checked, as a Christian, we said we're going to submit our lives under the authority of God's word. So when we're not submitting our lives under the authority of God's word, um, often what happens is we feel bad about it. This feeling is supposed to propel you to change. Number two, there's a cost. There's something of value that I must spend my time and often also my money. The two very often go hand in hand. There's a cost. Number three, there's a transfer. My resources for your need. Number four, there's a commitment. This is what's interesting in the local church context. The idea that is so normal in the American church that we consume, we jump in once a month or once a semester and say, I'm really great. Like, I've really, I've, I'm, I'm doing my job, right? That is so foreign, so backwards to the way Jesus has established the local church to be a family, to be a community, to be together, to be unified on mission for the gospel. His expectation, I think this is beautiful, that every one of us, every Sunday when we walk in the doors, we would come bringing something of value to bless and to build up and to edify. Some of you, you serve in weekly ministries. Every week, that's your thing. Every single week, uh, you are committed. You already know what you're doing. Some of you, you serve in monthly ministries. Here's what some of you do, and I love this. Um, some of you come into church, and you don't have a specific responsibility, so you pray. And you say, God, would you allow me to build someone up today? Would you allow me to encourage somebody? So you come into the building, and you look around, and you're just waiting for somebody to encourage. Some of you, you come in, and you say, God, I want to be able to pray for somebody this morning. Would you just show me, open up a conversation that I could pray with somebody and build them up? You come in with intentionality, knowing you're going to receive. The musicians are going to lead you in worship. A preacher's going to open up God's word. Someone's going to give you communion. Receive, 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 right? So you walk in, and you say, you know, God, today, would you give me some way to build up or to encourage? Maybe um, early in the morning, uh, somebody was on your mind. You are praying for them. And so you hunt them down. Down and you say, hey, can I share a word uh, from Scripture with you? Hey, can I pray for you this morning? Hey, I want to encourage you. I love what I've seen God do in your life. Um, some of you, we get judgy because you look at somebody and you say, well, they're not really serving. Can I tell you that there are some people who come to church and they pray every single Sunday morning, the whole time I'm preaching, they pray and they pray and they pray, and the ministry that they bring is to go before the Lord and to intercede in behalf of every one of you in this room, and they are faithful week in and week out. Because this is what it means to jump into a family and to be a church together. This is it. This is it. Now, number five, there's a benefit. Because you're made in God's image, God has wired you that when you give your life away, you become happy. Isn't that interesting? Like, this is the way you're wired. And it's interesting because intuitively you know this too. When you have served, when you have been generous, when you've gone above and beyond, right, doesn't it feel good? But then there's this opposing force in all of us called sin that says, oh, I don't want to do that anymore. Ah, oh, they frustrate me. Ah, oh, I got a million excuses of why I need to just hoard my life and my time and my money and my decisions for me, right? And then God's word breaks through that and says, no, 
You're created to come alive and to be happy when you commit to serving. And especially you're created with the Holy Spirit inside of you that to come alive when you build into the local church. I want you to hear this. The local church is called the Bride of Christ. Those of you who are married, are you protective of your brides? Yeah, well, if you're not, well, this is a different discussion. We've got to have a different sermon series, okay? You are protective of your bride. She is valuable to you. She is precious to you. And anybody who invests in my bride, I am filled with deep, deep gratitude. This is very personal for Jesus. And so when we jump in and we invest, God has wired us that we would actually grow in happiness and joy when we invest in what he is passionate about. It blesses us. It makes us happy. Um, I remember the first time I served weekly. I was 18 years old, and uh, a guy named Brian Myers, about 10 years older than me, he came to me, and he asked me to co-lead a small group of 10 sophomore guys. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I hadn't seen Brian in about a decade, uh, he came to church, to Village Church East, where I was preaching, and uh, he came to our house uh, for the afternoon on a Sunday, and it was actually really incredible because I was able to look at this guy, and I hadn't been able to tell him this. The first thing I asked him was, why did you pick an imbecile like me to co-lead a group of, junior, of sophomore students? And he said, honestly, I don't know. I just looked at you, and I thought he would do a good job. Uh, and, then, and then I was able to look at him and say, hey, man, can I just encourage you? Because um, in that group, it was the first time I had ever prayed for somebody. Uh, that group was the first time I had ever had responsibility for someone. It was the first time I had ever opened up God's word and taught anybody. Um, that group was the first time I ever had leadership. That group was the first time I ever had influence. That group was the first time that somebody came over me and taught me how to lead other people. Like never in my life. Now I want to tell you something. I was a terrible co-leader. I was the worst. I bore no fruit. I was very frustrating for him at times because I would commit to doing things and then I would not show up and do that. Like none of you would ever do that, I'm sure. But I would commit to doing things and then not show up and he would like call me and be like, of course it was a home phone, you know, hey Michael, where where are you at? Because that was the day before. Cell phones. I learned something that I was created to give my life away to the local church. And I'm not saying that as a pastor. Take my pastor hat off. I'm saying that as a Christian, as a brother in Christ to each of you. I'm saying that I learned in that year that God created me to invest in the local church because he is invested in it, because he is passionate about it, because this is personal to him, and he has made me to find deep joy and satisfaction when I invest in the local church. Again, I've had great leaders. I've had bad leaders. I've been rejected. I've been offended. I've been hurt. I've been built up. I've been everything across the gamut and I would never take it back. I'm here to tell you that sometimes serving in a church is going to be really hard. I think most of the time, it's really life-giving. And this is why Scripture gives us admonitions to endure with one, (laughs) right? But let me tell you, I've never, ever regretted it, and it changed my life. And I told him, I don't know that I would be in ministry today had you not given me that opportunity. So let's go to point number two in your notes. Do God and I agree on serving. We're going to take verse 10, and we're going to take this a couple words at a time. First Peter 4.10, we've looked at all the whys in 7, 8, 9, and 11. Now we're going to look at the command again. As each. Okay, let's pause. Talking to Christians, so if you're a Christian in this room, is this talking about you? What's the answer? Yes. yes. Okay, so uh, whatever is about to happen, here's what you got to understand. You're responsible 
now that you're going to know this. So if you don't want to be responsible, I won't be upset if you get up and walk out the door so you can be like, oh, I never heard that one. Okay, good. Each, as each has received. Okay. Is there something that you as a Christian have that has been given to you? Yes. Are we on the same page? Good, good. So you have something. We don't know what this something is, but we're going to figure it out. Okay. Um, somebody else outside of you has taken initiative to give you something. Here's what he says. As each has received a gift. Now, this is a gift that you did not deserve. Now, I want you to understand this. Um, if, if you were to buy your son or your daughter a gift, do you expect that they are going to be happy with it? What's the answer? Yeah. You're like, how many of you buy people gifts? And you're like, I hope it ruins their life, right? No. <laughs> it's not at all what you do. So you buy them a gift, and if they go play with it, and it brings them joy, what does that bring you as the gift giver? Joy, satisfaction, happiness. This is the intention. Now, as a mom and a dad, don't we love to give our kids good gifts? How much more God? God is a good gift giver. He is a father. God loves to bring delight to his children. And so when the Bible says that, hey, each of you, you have received a gift. This is a divine gift. It is by God. It is for your joy. It is for your life. It is for your happiness. And any gift God gives you, it's going to make your life better. God doesn't play around. He doesn't give you tricks. Like This is going to be good for you. So here's what he says. Use it. Use it. Okay, this should be like kind of concerning to you. Like, What is it about this gift that makes me have to be told to use it? Well, this is what's called sin in us. Again, sin comes in and says, do the opposite of what is good, healthy, and right. It's inside each one of us. So God sees that all of his kids have these gifts, and we're being distracted. We're not using them. So he has to come in, and for some of you, this is a command. For some of you, this is an affirmation. For some of you, this is an encouragement. But here it is. Use it. Now, is this optional? No. No. Like when God says to do something, like let's just give you an example, right? If you look at your kid and say, pick up your trash, is that optional? No. Why? Because you're the authority and you're giving a command. If the kid looks at you and says, eh, don't feel like it, what's going to happen to that kid? That kid's going to get in trouble. Like this is, the, this is the point. When God gives you a command, in our hearts, we're like, how do I get out of it? And yet God is like, this is not about getting out of it. In fact, this is not like picking up the trash. This is infinitely better because if you do this, you're actually going to be blessed and be happy as you do it. I know this is crazy. So now, it's Christmas Day, and you open up a present, and someone says to you, hey, instead of actually giving you guys all presents, we're all going to give all of our money away, and we're going to adopt a bunch of kids in Africa, right? What do you feel? Let's be honest. That's a lie. For real? Come on! I want to spend it on me. That's called sin, by the way, just to be clear. Um, so when you, you think when God gives you a gift, right? It's like relishing it, use it, you're like, ah, whatever. Here's what he says. Use it to serve one another. Now at this point, sin in you is going to be like, I want to use it to serve myself. Like, and I get it. Everybody does. This is what we do. This is our nature. This is our character. We love to serve ourselves. And God has to break in and say, look, look, I gave you this gift. It is for your joy. It is for your benefit. But if you use it for you, if you come in and just consume and hoard your time and your money and your energy and your gifts for you, you will never experience the life that truly comes by living like Jesus did. You will never experience it. You're not going to experience the point of this gift. But just in case somebody doesn't get it, just in case somebody says, I'm going to figure out how to get out of using this gift. Here's what he says. As good stewards. A steward 
is a manager who is going to have to give an account for what he has been entrusted with. Here's what that means. All right, if my desire to bless you is not enough motivation to get you to use this gift to serve one another in this family church, okay, here's what I want to remind you of. You will be held accountable for how you used or did not use this gift. The choice is yours. The choice is yours. Your money and your time. You get to choose this, how you're going to use it. But you will be held accountable. But then he gives, I think, another compelling word here. He says, as good stewards of God's varied grace. The word grace refers back to a gift. You may have heard this called a spiritual gift or a spiritual ministry. Here's the idea. The idea is that every single person who comes to Jesus Christ has a place and a role in their local church. You have a purpose. That purpose can change from one season to another, but there's never a season when you walk into a church where God does not have a purpose or a job for you. You are valuable and you are essential to the working together of this family called the local church. And this is a gift. And here's what he says. He says it's a varied grace, a varied gift. Uh, The word varied can be translated in the following ways. Colorful, multicolored, variegated, spotted, speckled, embroidered, beautiful, manifold, various. Here's the idea. The idea is that every one of you in this room are uniquely created, designed, and gifted by God to do something unique in the context of this local community. And that when everybody does it, everybody is blessed by it. And this is how God has wired us. And when we do this, as we serve one another, we actually come to life. And then he even gives us some warnings. Yeah, 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 it's going to be hard. People will let you down. You do this for the glory of God, not the glory of your leader. You do this for the glory of God, not the approval of your leader. You do this for the glory of God, and this gets you through those rough, disappointing seasons, because just like in your physical family, your spiritual family also has the capacity to hurt you. He goes on in verse 11. Here's what he says. He he describes two kinds of service. Number one, there's service through words. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. There are going to be some of you who are given the opportunity and the privilege to speak and to teach and to lead with your words. Maybe behind the scenes you're an encourager or a quipper or a trainer. This is a beautiful opportunity. And what we want to do is when we speak, we want to speak as if God is speaking. We want to speak the very words of God. Now, some of you are massive introverts. I want to read to you an article uh, that came up on the Babylon Bee. If you don't know what the Babylon Bee is, it is called satire. So what I'm about to tell you is not a true story, but I think it could be in the right circumstance. Here's the article title. Local church offers introvert service where nobody has to talk to anybody else. Uh, Let me read to you the article. Cleveland, Ohio, Faith Life Church revealed Thursday the unprecedented popularity of their newly launched, quote, introvert service, a church service where believers averse to social situations can come and worship the Lord without ever having to talk to anyone else. Taking place after both the traditional and contemporary offerings, this new service allows congregants to enjoy church in silence without being forced to greet each other with a saying or a question touch each other in any way, or engage in never-ending small talk afterward. 
It's unbelievable, self-described introvert and church member Anita Kimball told reporters. I've struggled my whole life with the church traditions that forced me to invite people into my bubble. No more turning and greeting my neighbor with some contrived cliche or having to hug Mr. Jenkins. Thank you, Jesus. End quote. The Faith Life elders confirm that they are in the market for a new church building to accommodate the explosion and attendance due to the new service. If you're not a talker, I totally get it. Uh, Village Church is a sanctifying experience for introverts. Maybe you have serving gifts. Uh, serving gifts are sometimes a little less glorious. Sometimes they're behind the scenes. Uh, serving gifts, here's what he says, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. I do think it's interesting that the behind-the-scenes service gift, he calls out this probability. Likely, you're going to need strength because it can be really exhausting to be behind the scenes. The upfront guys, they get all the glory, they get all the accolades, hey man, great sermon, the music was awesome, so appreciate it. When do you pay attention to the people behind the scenes? When the pro presenter screen doesn't work, when the sound cuts off and the microphone breaks, and then all your heads turn back and say, hey, you in the back, fix it, right? And that's like an introvert's worst nightmare. Can I get an amen from all the introverts, right? Right? So it's interesting because this is, this is where God's like, look, you don't get glory. And when things go bad, you're the first ones to get called on. And you're going to need the strength that God supplies. You're going to need to remember this has to be for the Lord. Because if this is for people or for your own ego, this whole thing of serving, it's going to crush you. And you're going to get exhausted. And you need to remember that God supplies strength. But this strength is supplied in proportion to whom you're serving. If you are serving for mankind, he will never give you enough strength to serve in that way. But if you are serving for him, there is an unending amount of strength that he can provide for you behind the scenes. So now I want to ask the question, am I really generous? Am I really generous? In order to talk about this, we have to compare duty versus generosity. I'm going to say the word duty a lot. So all of you children who are thinking what I know you're thinking, get it out now, laugh it up, here we go. All right, duty is fulfilling my obligations. So duty is. Here's what I have to do, and this is the reason, because most of you would be like, okay, pastor, sit down, good sermon, good, I'm motivated, etc., but if I don't dismantle one of the greatest lies of the entitlement church that has permeated Village Church and most other churches I know, I would be doing this sermon a disservice. And so this is the point where some of you are going to be like, ooh, didn't like that one, Michael. I want to read to you a passage of scripture from the book of Luke, chapter 17. We're going to start in verse 7, and this is about duty. Here's what he says. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once! And recline from the table. Now, pop quiz in Jesus' uh, parable here. Who's, who's the servant? We are, right? Okay, good. Verse 8. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward, then you will eat and drink. Verse 9. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? Listen to verse 10. So you also... When you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Here, this is where I need to draw for you the distinction between duty and generosity. When you do what God says to do, that is not generosity. That is duty. There's a whole bunch of people who don't serve because of generosity, they serve because they live under the authority of God's word. And God says, give your life away. Serve one another. 
be faithful, commit to this place, commit to these people, be in community, and they submit to this because they're under the authority of God's word. And they don't say, look how great I am. Here's what culture says. Culture says anytime you give your time for someone else, you should be applauded because that is generosity. And the Bible is very clear. It makes a distinction between our duties and generosity. Generosity begins after we have fulfilled our duties. There are three basic duties of all human beings. Here they are. Number one, survive. You eat, you sleep. A third of your life is spent sleeping. This is your, this is your duty. You do this. Like There's no questions asked. Nobody says, yay, you're so awesome. You ate, right? <laughs> Although some of you would like an applause for that one. Okay. Number two, connect. Here's the priority of connection in your life. I, I hold my connection to Jesus first and foremost, my spouse, my kids, my friends, and my church. Like that, those, are, those are priorities. When we spend our money and when we spend our time, we prioritize those relationships. And this is the second duty of being alive. I am responsible to prioritize my relationship. Like I don't get a pat on the back because I prayed because I studied scripture, because I served. Like, those are not things where I get to go, yay, I ate my own food today, right? That is duty. That is duty. The third duty of a human being is to produce. It is to work. It is to bless and benefit society with something that you are able to do. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom or whether you go to work every day, whether you're a stay-at-home dad, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Your job is to produce for the benefit of society. That is how God has made you. These are the three duties of human beings. What's interesting is that when you think about tithing and this connection and this serving, all of that ha happens under this second duty. Here's what happens in Scripture, is that there is a place of margin after we've fulfilled our duties, and this is where generosity begins. This is where we're able to say, I have budgeted my money and my time so I have space, so that when needs and demands come up on the spot, I am able to respond real time, and I am able to be generous above and beyond. Generosity is joyful, giving, beyond duties. In order to be generous, our lives need to be balanced, disciplined, and prioritized. This is where I need to dismantle some of us, because some of us want applause for doing the bare minimum, and I think what Jesus would say is, we are called to be faithful. Let's worry less about applause for doing the bare minimum, and let's do all things for the glory of God, and let's work for his applause. And in time, there will be moments where people come and thank you and applaud you and say, I'm so grateful for that. You have literally been a game changer in this place. But we don't work for those. We work and we serve behind the scenes, in front, for the glory of Jesus Christ, whether or not the applause comes or it doesn't come. The point is this. The quality of your life here and there hinges on how you budget your money and your time. So I want to close with some advice. First, I want to give a few pieces of advice for everybody. Number one, who you are really serving actually does change everything. And this is a decision that you're going to have to make probably most times when you go to serve. I have to tell myself when I get up to preach, Michael, this is not about you. This is about them and Jesus Christ. This is about emptying yourself for the glory of God and the edification of these people. And every time people get up to serve, sometimes you just got to remind yourself of who you're really serving. Number two, abdication affects 
everyone. You may be saying, abda what? I'm not that smart. Um, let me just tell you what abdication means. Abdication is when you do not fulfill your basic duties so that other people have to come and do it for you and do above and beyond. Um, one pastor tells the story of his 16-year-old son who uh, left his towel on the ground. And by leaving it on the ground, uh, he was assuming that someone else, i.e. his mother, would come pick it up. So the dad goes and he finds the towel on the ground. He calls his son and says, son, come here. And he looks at the son and he says, son, ask me to pick up the towel. And the son says, Dad, I got it, I got it, it's fine. He goes, no, 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 you left the towel here, you walked away, knowing in your mind your mother was going to pick this up after you. So be a man and ask. This is abdication. Well, let me tell you, that kid picked up the towel and always picked up his towel from there on out. But the point in this is this. Every time we abdicate, somebody else picks up the pieces. Every time. And so what happens in a local church is that there's some people who serve a lot more than they probably ever should, and they're serving for you. They're obeying for you. And for some of you, you need to step up, and you need to go before the Lord, and you need to jump in and figure out, God, your word says to use the gift that I have received from you. Lord, would you help me do this? Number three, we are responsible for asking for what we need. Uh, if you will do this one thing, I think like most unhealthy church teams all over America could be fixed with this one thing. Um, people are frustrated because they didn't get what they need. If Village Church, whose responsibility is it to get what you need? Ours, right? It's ours, it's yours, it's mine. If I'm serving for somebody, under somebody, and, and they're not giving me what I need, it is not, I don't have permission to get angry at them. It is my job to go get it from them. I have yet to meet a leader who's like, yeah, I knew they needed it, but I really wanted to upset them, right? It's just not, let me, let me tell you what happens, right? I don't know pastors who just want to upset people, and I don't know volunteer leaders who are just kind of jerks, right? I mean, there are some out there, I'm sure, but like by and large, we do want to help people. We want to make their life easy. Sometimes you're not getting what you need because we're just strapped for time, and that's real. Number four, everything matters. Everything. When the Christian gets that everything matters, it changes the way you do things. Every, everything. One thing does not work in this church. So many things can fall like dominoes. This morning, you may not know this, but I think like half of what could have gone wrong went wrong behind the scenes. Um, this was a crazy chaotic morning for our AV team, for myself, for Children's Ministry East. I mean, so many things just whoosh, right? And any one of these, one of, like, they, make, they affect everybody else in every single other ministry and like dominoes. It's very interesting how this works. And so I want you to know is everything matters. It matters when you, when you build this building how well you put the bricks up. It matters when you redo wiring and electrical how accurate it is. It matters what you do. It matters how you look after kids. It matters whether or not you actually study our policies and procedures. It matters. Everything is valuable. I want you to know whatever God puts you into, it's important. So now we're going to give you a couple last pieces of advice. Advice for those who are starting off. Jump in. Jump in. Set up a meeting with one of our ministry leaders, one of our staff. We would love to help you figure out a place to jump in. Uh, number two, advice for those not sure what to do. Jump in someplace for one month. Tell the leader, I'm trying to figure out my place. Commit to serving every week for one month in that thing and see how it goes. Uh, ask your leader to give you real advice. By the way, if your ministry leader looks at you and says, I don't think this is a good ministry fit for you, do not get your feelings hurt. Do you know why? Nobody wants to tell somebody that it's not a good fit for them, Okay. But if you're not a good fit for it, would you rather them lie to you or tell you? And most churches are going to lie to you, and then things are not going to go well. Here's our commitment. We're going to tell you the truth, so just expect it, and we want to love you in that process. Uh, advice for those transferring churches. 
Um, there's a lot in, in the suburbs of Chicago. There's a lot of upheaval over the last few years. And so uh, my encouragement to you is sit down with one of our pastors. Tell them where you're at. Share with them your story. We would love to encourage you and help you process through that. Um, that's a big deal when you leave one local community and go to another. And so we'd love to help you process through that. One thing to be careful of is uh, two things. is When you come from another church, um, oftentimes you're going to bring with yourself a lot of baggage. Be very, very careful about your baggage. Um, because oftentimes we bring stuff that we participated in, and those things really hurt that church. We work really hard to protect the culture and the family of Village Church. But number two is, there are a lot of really great things from the church that you came from, and this is not the perfect place. So if we can do something better, if you've seen it done better, let me tell you this, on behalf of every director, staff, elder, and deacon, we are all ears, and we invite better ways to do things. So bring those. We're, we're excited about that. Advice for those who are hurt. When you're hurt, your tendency is to pull away, hide, and run. And there are going to be seasons where you may need a brief season to heal, and that is absolutely acceptable. But one of the things you got to realize is that hurt will make you run from your calling rather than into it. And so if God has created you and gifted you, your job is not to wallow, but to figure out, okay, God, I want to heal, but now what? How do I get past this season of healing? Because the season of healing is not forever, it's temporary. And sometimes we like to make that season a lot longer than it needs to be. Advice for couples who feel busy. Serve together. Be efficient. I love efficiency, and if you can do that, I think that's a great way to help. I want to close, and I want to give you an opportunity. Um, next week, um, we, I'm going to be hosting a lunch. It is for the first 10 people who sign up. It's going to be after the service, just like we talked about last week. Um, in fact, today, after this service, we have a lunch where we're going to be talking about tithing, generosity and budgets. Uh, we opened it up to 10 slots. We had more than that sign up. And so these things can go pretty quick. Next week, we're going to do another one. And here's the topic of the lunch. It's just going to be me and 10 people. We're going to talk about serving, spiritual gifts, connecting to a local church, and thriving in a local church. I'm going to give you guys the top 10 questions that I get asked on that. I want to encourage you, and we're going to eat some free food. You may be wondering, is this for me? If you're breathing and you want to go, and you're the first 10 who sign up, it's for you. Uh, if you just want a free lunch, I don't care. Come on in. It's for you. Um, and uh, I would love to be able to spend an hour with you, encourage you, eat with you, and help you think about how you can better serve and what it means for you to take a next step at Village Church. So what I want to do now is I want to take a mat, I want to pray, and we are going to have a baptism. So let's pray together. Father, again, I'm truly grateful that you've given us the opportunity to steward gifts that you give us personally, designed for each one of us that we might come alive, we might bless other people, we might bring you glory. Lord, I know that there are so many people in this room with so many different stories and experiences, uh, challenges, wounds, victories, uh, so God, my, my simple prayer is this. May you, by your word, teach, train, challenge, encourage, and equip us to take the next steps that you want us to take. Lord, our lives are yours. May you show us how to budget our time and our money for the glory of Jesus Christ. Lord, we confess there is so much we don't know and there are so many bad decisions we make. I want us to just take a moment and say thank you for paying for the price for every one of our sins. Thank you that Jesus covers all of them. We love you, and we are grateful, and we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen?
Amen.